Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It's the weekend, so relax and listen to some stories the whole family can enjoy. That's right, it's the Saturday Story Circle, here on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated G for general audience. And now, a faux fiction audio production, published by Not A Pipe Publishing, Super Guy by Kurt Clopton. Super Guy, the generic alternative. Less superhero hype, same superhero quality. Chapter 24. Barcode Boy. Excuse me? Barcode Boy. They were standing in an elevator, staring at the digital display above the doors. The red numbers were rising steadily as they ascended to the top floor. I imagine that's what they would call your sidekick. Super Guy and Barcode Boy. Oh wait, that's not going to fly with the black guy. Your sidekick could only be some small white guy with a name like that. Just one more way to keep the black man down. I have to come up with something better. I was just thinking about what my sidekick name would be since I'm on this mission with you. Mission? It's more like a meet and greet the way you described it. He was a little put out that he was having to use the elevator to get to this room instead of flying up and landing on the roof. Or balcony. Or something cool. The elevator was definitely not cool not superhero at all. Oliver took his eyes off the numbers and looked around the interior of the elevator. It would have been obvious his brow was furrowed in thought had he not been wearing a mask. Do you find it disturbing that there's no elevator music? I would have expected elevator music. It's a nice elevator, pretty fancy. Would have thought there'd be music, and not thin-sounding or tinny, like a really solid system, full sound with good bass. Huh. Didn't really notice there wasn't. Probably best. You don't want a Barry Manilow song playing in your head during the face-to-face. Might throw you off your game. I have game? I'm making assumptions. You know, serum and all. Sure. But do I even need game for a simple meet-and-greet? Well, I really shouldn't say it's simple. The face-to-face meeting is a little more than a tea party. There is the potential for violence. I thought you said there was an unofficial ceasefire in these first meetings, which is why you're coming along, and why I'm letting you. I guess it's more the potential for potential violence. Sort of a very subtle yet menacing thing. Does that make sense? You even need to ask. I suppose the unofficial rules of the game really don't apply, and I could be screwed. 
Uh-oh. I didn't think about that. Well, if things do get ugly, just do your best not to get killed. I'd feel bad. Don't. I deserve it for coming along when I should know better. Yeah, fair enough. Come on then, barcode man. Or person. Or guy. Just whatever you want to be called. Okay, all those names suck. Leave the sidekick names to me. This from the guy who came up with the racially insensitive barcode boy. Having had their arrival announced when checking in at the main reception desk in the lobby, Oliver and Roger were met by a young man in a dark suit who introduced himself as Alex, Mr. Joyce's personal assistant. He led them through a set of double doors that were flanked on either side by desks. Both were currently empty, but messy enough to look regularly used. It was almost six o'clock, so Oliver guessed their owners might be gone for the day, which was a better thought than they had been sent home, so there would be no witnesses to Oliver and Roger's disappearance. Beyond the double doors was a spacious office with a large desk on one side and a sofa and chairs on the other. All of the furnishings were extremely nice and even Oliver, whose knowledge of furniture began and ended at cardboard boxes, covered with a mostly clean sheet, could tell they were also extremely expensive. Nice office Mr. Joyce has here. Oh, this is not his office. This is mine. Really? I thought that was you out there. No, those are my assistants. So, uh, where is Mr. Joyce? Right through here, said Alex, waving a hand at the far wall and walking toward it. Oliver hadn't noticed anything more than a wall when he first looked around the room, but now he could see the oversized double doors set into the wall in such a way they were not easily seen. Not purposely hidden, just made to blend into the wall. Alex knocked and then opened the doors without waiting for a response. He stepped to one side and held out an arm as invitation for Oliver and Roger to enter. Inside was a vast room which made Alex's office look like a closet. It wasn't the regular one-story size height you would assume an office building to have. Instead, the ceiling on the low side was at least two stories tall and sloped upward to about three stories in height where it met the opposite wall. That opposite wall was all windows showing an amazing view of downtown Milwaukee with the lake in the background. All that brightness was balanced on the other side of the room by a wall of black marble. Against that black marble sat one gray couch with a couple matching chairs opposite it, all of them situated around a small coffee table. The couch might have been large, but against that wall it seemed tiny. Directly across from the double doors was the only other furniture in the room, a massive dark gray desk. It had to be big if it could still be considered large in the cavernous room. Part of the wall behind the desk was covered with nine flat panel monitors, all of which were currently on but had the sound muted, each one showing something different. The local television channels were all displayed as well as CNN and a few other major news and financial channels. Behind the desk was a large gray leather chair and in that chair sat the small man with bright white hair Oliver had met and spoken with at the Mayor's Gala. 
Mr. Joyce wore a gray pinstriped suit with a gray tie, shirt, and vest. He wasn't entirely easy to notice in the immense room dominated by the desk, high ceilings, and the walls of video screens, black marble, and windows. Oliver and Roger had slowed after entering as they took in the size of the room and its contents. But now Oliver focused on Joyce and walked across the floor to the desk, followed slightly more slowly by Roger. Mr. Joyce got up from his chair and came around the desk to greet them. Super guy, he said, offering his hand and shaking Oliver's vigorously. It is a great pleasure to see you again. And this is Mr. Allen, I presume? I'm Raymond Joyce. I'm honored to have both of you here. It's good to see you again, said Oliver, a bit hesitantly. Immediately after saying it, he realized it probably wasn't the best way to greet the person you just recently discovered could be your arch-nemesis, but he was a little taken aback at how genuinely friendly and enthusiastic Joyce was. It's hard to be a jerk in the face of that. Maybe it was the serum helping him to be cool in the situation, but Oliver had never been a very confrontational person. Now, he was slightly confused, as this face-to-face -face thing wasn't starting out quite like he thought it would. The feel was all wrong. He had been imagining various scenarios ever since they decided to make the visit. Most of them took place in poorly lit backroom offices, filled with cigar smoke and bad guy muscle surrounding a mobster-looking boss who spoke ironic pleasantries through clenched teeth. Here... There was no smoke, no muscle, no irony, and the lighting was gorgeous. So much natural light from those huge windows. Yeah, please sit down, said Mr. Joyce, pointing to a couple of chairs Alex had just brought over to the desk. Joyce walked back around to his own chair to sit while Oliver and Roger settled into theirs. Can I get you anything to drink? Or maybe something to snack on? He checked his watch. Hmm, it's actually pretty close to dinner. I could have my chef pick something. Um, well... Said Oliver, not really sure what the snacking etiquette was in the whole face-to-face -face confrontation thing. I'm feeling a bit hungry. You are? Asked Oliver, looking over at Roger. He held up a hand to Mr. Joyce. I'm sorry, could I have a word with Roger? Mr. Joyce just nodded and smiled pleasantly. Oliver stepped over to Roger and pulled him out of his chair, leading him several feet away. He spoke quietly. We can eat. Why not? I don't know. I don't know the rules. There really aren't any. Like I said, sure, there's the ceasefire. But past that, I don't know. You chat for five minutes or five hours if you want. Eventually, there'll be some threats. Possibly veiled, possibly obvious. Which will confirm he's the bad guy with an evil plan and you're the good guy who's going to stop him. You can find you hate him because he's truly evil. Or maybe you end up feeling sorry for him because he's really just misguided due to some childhood trauma. But beyond that, I think it's just filler. I don't see a problem with a little snack. Or maybe something more substantial. Apps at least. Or maybe a couple of dinner courses. You heard him. He's got his own chef. That screams good eating. Oh, and cocktails. I bet he's got nothing but top shelf booze. Oliver thought about it for a few seconds. What about poison? Poison? Yeah, what if he decided to poison? 
Okay, that's a bit paranoid. I thought the sim would have taken care of the irrational part of your brain already, but I suppose it's a big job. Look, poison wouldn't affect you anyway. Bit of a downer for me, but if the food's good, I mean, private chef, I take the chance. Okay, so we eat. And drink, hell yes. They came back over to the desk and sat down in their chairs again. Mr. Joyce looked at them expectantly. So, any decisions? Dinner would be good, and maybe drinks, if you're open to that. Right. Alex, please have Tony fix enough for two more and have a table brought in. And bring a wine list for Mr. Allen. Oliver did not need to look at Roger to know how big his smile was at that moment. Right away, said Alex, turning and leaving by the double doors. They sat there staring at each other for a moment before someone spoke. Oliver was a little surprised it was him, but he felt he needed to say something before it got too uncomfortable. He wanted it to seem as if this were all just everyday stuff for him, so he asked the first thing that popped into his head. So, Mr. Joyce, um, how are things with your friend? The waitress, wasn't it? Joyce looked justifiably surprised by the question and thought about it a few seconds. Oh, uh, well, I'm not. Uh, have either of you dated a waitress before? Oliver and Roger exchanged looks and managed to mumble negatives. Really? No. Seems like there are so many waitresses, yet no one I ask has ever dated one. At least, not recently. Or an actual waitress. A server at the Ponderosa Buffet doesn't count, does it? Tell me, do you think it's appropriate to ask one out on a date while they're working? Or should you wait until they're off? Although it might seem a little untoward to approach them while away from work. Mr. Joyce trailed off as he stared out the window. Oliver was about to attempt some kind of advice when he noticed breaking news coverage on one of the local television channels behind Mr. Joyce's head. They were showing live helicopter footage of a major fire in a building just a few blocks away. As he watched, each of the other local stations broke into their programming and began showing coverage of the fire. Oliver glanced over at Roger to see he had noticed it too. Mr. Joyce was completely unaware and continued to talk about waitresses. Oliver stood up and interrupted him. I'm sorry, Mr. Joyce, but it seems I uh, may have an emergency, said Oliver, gesturing at the screens behind the white-haired man. His communicator beeped, and an automated emergency message began playing in his ear, telling him about the situation and the location. Oliver stepped over to the windows to see if he could see the fire from there. It was just out of sight, hidden by other buildings, but he could see a lot of smoke. He looked back at the televisions and out the window once more. Roger came over for a look out the window as well. Look, I know we're supposed to have a nice little give and take here, at least that's what I'm told being new to all this, but it appears I've got to run. I suppose we could reschedule, but I doubt delays really help me while they're probably very helpful to you. So, I guess I just need to know whether or not you intend to continue on your present course with all the various crimes. You know, the thefts, kidnapping, arson, and the whole world enslavement thing. Really set on it? Oh. Hmm. Yes, I think so. 
I see no reason not to. If anything, you make it sound an even more enticing venture than I'd considered it before. Oh, well, I wasn't really going for that, but great. Um, nice meeting you. Sorry to miss the food. Oliver took a few steps back, got a running start, and jumped through one of the large windows. Both Roger and Mr. Joyce stared at the gaping hole through which Oliver had disappeared. Bits of glass dropped and shattered on the floor. Roger took a couple steps forward and leaned out, trying to see where Oliver landed. He couldn't, but he did see an outcropping one story below had kept any glass from falling all the way down to the street. He stepped back. Mm. He didn't really have to barf that way, did he? Roger glanced at him then back at the window. No, probably not. But he can be a little passive-aggressive. I think I'll just take the elevator when I go, he said, pointing vaguely toward the door. He patted his pants pocket for his keys. Mr. Joyce just smiled. Oh, don't worry, Mr. Allen. And please, now that we've had our official introductions, you can call me Gray Matter, he said with a little bow. Roger nodded. Realizing with a name like that, they were definitely dealing with an actual supervillain. The double doors opened, and several men carried in a dinner table and chairs, which were quickly arranged and set with dishes and glasses under the direction of Alex. Another group followed closely behind, a couple of men sweeping up the broken glass on the floor, while others sealed the window with clear plastic sheeting. Those men disappeared out the doors as a waiter brought a wine list to Roger. Thank you, said Roger, taking the list with a little uncertainty. You will still stay for dinner, won't you, Mr. Allen? I know Mr. Olson had to leave, but there's no reason for more food to go to waste. Roger looked from Joyce to the wine list. He didn't know anything about wines, but the names sure seemed expensive. And the dates. Most of them were older than he was. But without Oliver here... You won't poison me, will you? Poison? Oh, most definitely not. You have my word. Much too early in the game for that sort of thing, don't you think? Eventually there might be good reason to kidnap you, use you as leverage for Mr. Olson, but not yet. Besides, I'd like to pick your brain a bit about this whole dating conundrum. You seem like the kind of man who might have some insight. Oh, and look, our food is already here. Joyce gestured toward the table, which was now fully decked out with a gray tablecloth, ornately decorated plates and salad bowls, and very shiny silverware. The waiters were finishing setting out the food, of which there was a lot, and it all looked beyond good. Not to mention the smells drifting over were amazing. Roger looked back at the supervillain in front of him. A man he now knew was undoubtedly an evil genius with a presumably nefarious plan to enslave the world and destroy anyone who got in his way, including Roger himself. Hmm. I could eat. Is that her? Oh, yes, answered Mr. Joyce. He said it with a combination of longing and fear that was almost palpable. A soft rain fell steadily on the two men as they stood outside the diner in the increasingly darkening evening. At Mr. Joyce's insistence, they were pretending to have a casual conversation while looking for the waitress. 
Alice, who was at work during the dinner rush. Joyce had added a long gray raincoat to his ensemble and held a surprisingly black umbrella. Roger held a matching umbrella given to him by one of Mr. Joyce's assistants. So, are you ready to do this? Uh, are you sure this is a good idea? I feel like we're rushing it. I don't want to rush it. Would you stop it with the rushing talk? From what I can tell, you are in no danger of rushing anything. But if we are, then bad things could happen. First impressions are everything. It could be all be lost in a second. I say one wrong thing, and that's it. It's all over. Seriously, it's not that big of a deal. You need to relax, breathe. Remember what we talked about. You're not making the plunge now. You're not asking her out. You're just going to make some non-threatening small talk. Not even a lot. Just stick to the two or three sentences we planned. See how she responds and proceed accordingly. Right now, you simply want to get your foot in the door. Get noticed, maybe make her smile. We're not trying to change her world in one passing conversation. Just have a simple, pleasant exchange. Concentrate on that. Look, you can do this. You're the CEO of a huge corporation and a supervillain. You're in charge of thousands of people, and you run every kind of legitimate and not-so-legitimate business there is. You juggle trying to kill off superheroes with taking over companies and swindling retirees out of their savings. You can handle a couple of idle comments to the waitress taking your order. Now get in there and order some pie. Finished Roger with a flourish. Joyce nodded, and with a not terribly convincing look of determination on his face, pushed the door of the diner open and went inside. Roger stood in the rain for a second longer before turning and heading for his car. How could this guy possibly be a threat to enslave the world? He figured he could keep the umbrella. You have been listening to Super Guy by Kurt Klopton, a faux fiction audio production published by Not A Pipe Publishing. Look for the sequel to Super Guy coming this September. This recording, characters, and the situations within are the property of their author and creator, and protected by copyright. If you wish to listen to more episodes in advance, search Patreon.com, then Faux Fiction Audio, and sign up to be a monthly patron. Or, stay tuned until the next week for your free episode. We will see you then. Do you love old-time radio? Yes! You know absolutely nothing about old-time radio. Also yes! Then Madison on the Air is for you. Follow Madison, a modern-day makeup influencer, as she zapped back into the golden age of radio. Every episode is standalone with a wide variety of genres to choose from, like detective noir. You put the dick in private dick. Superheroes. So I am in the body of the Green Hornet. Westerns. Saloon fight. Now this is a Western. Sci-fi. Dude, the Martian's got a freaking heat ray. Plus classic characters. Toto. Oh, I gotta get that dog into an obedience class. Really digging Dracula's OG goth style. <gasps> what if I killed freaking Sherlock Holmes? And many more. Actual old-time radio scripts adapted. It's like if the MST3K Rift Tracks guys were in the movies they riff. Start at the beginning or jump around to any title that grabs you. New episodes premiere the first of every month. Find us wherever you get your podcasts.